Hello, everyone. Welcome to Close, the New York real estate podcast. I'm Emily Cahigas, and I'm here with Cooper Knowlton. And today we're chatting with Kim Belsey. Kim is a reporter for New York Magazine's Curved, where she writes about all things real estate. She has also written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and more. Welcome, Kim. Nice to have you on. Thanks. <laughs> so when it comes to real estate, there's a lot going on in New York right now. And you've written some very interesting topics that affect a lot of people. Um, one of those topics is about the number of Airbnbs in New York City outnumbering the amount of rentals on the market. Can you tell us more about this? Uh, yes. I mean, so this isn't, I, I think one of the things that's interesting was that if you look at Airbnb's numbers, they've actually gone down since before the pandemic, but there's just so few rentals right now that they actually, um, the number of listings do outnumber them. Uh, it speaks probably more to the scarcity in the rental market than it does to, you know, a lot of Airbnb conversions. But I think it also raises a lot of questions about the role of Airbnb in cities when you have such low supply is is that is that gone down? You said that Airbnbs have gone down since the start of the pandemic. Is that um, is that true across the country, or is that is that are you talking specifically about in Manhattan or in in New York uh, in general? Yeah, I think in general it is true elsewhere, sort of nationally. Although I'm sure if you look at submarkets, like I would have to guess that some places like the Hudson Valley and things like that had probably seen a surge of the Catskills. But overall, that is like a national trend. And and do you think that trend is, is large, at least if we're focusing on New York City, do you think that trend is largely being driven by um, the city cracking down on it? Or is it is it really being driven by demand, that there being less demand from consumers? What do, what do you think is kind of driving that? Um, there have been like periodic crackdowns since Airbnb came on the scene and there's been like a lot of different legislation that was passed that sort of limited how it could be done. But it seems like that wasn't really related to the number of units sort of disappearing during COVID. I think that probably had more to do with people traveling less or looking more for like longer term rentals. Uh, I also would have to assume that probably some things that are like Airbnbs were rented by, you know, somebody came for a month and then stayed for six and maybe they'd stopped going through Airbnb because of the fees or something like that. Um, I think just a lot of things became less short-term and more long-term. Do you think this is just a natural lull and, and it'll go back up to how it was pre-pandemic, the Airbnb volume, or um, we're kind of in a holding pattern when it comes to Airbnbs? Yeah, I mean, my guess would definitely be that it will go back up. I don't really see any reason why it wouldn't. Um, unless, um, I mean, I think there's always, to some extent, people looking at starting Airbnbs and then realizing it's like not as easy as it seems to, you know, find labor, people to clean them and things like that. I think turnover can be a headache. I'm sure there's like some of that that's going on, but... I mean, also, I guess maybe in this labor market, it's harder to find people to, you know, clean your Airbnb once a week or something like that. But I think it's probably going back to where it was. There's always talk of like new legislation. There's something I think that's coming up in New York City as well, but I don't really see it changing substantially. Yeah. 
I always wonder, I mean, I, I feel like it, it's it's interesting. Like, I feel like right now it, it's interesting to even hear that the number has gone down. Cause I do feel like it's such a hot topic right now. I feel like everyone's talking about, you know, needing to crack down on Airbnb. They're being, they're, they're being such a problem, but I don't know, as purely as a, as a Airbnb, like consumer, um, I feel like Airbnb, everyone I talk to seems to be like disappointed with the, with the service of Airbnb and, you know, the fact that the, the prices continue to go up and it's at a certain point, like, you know, you're the, the, there, there's probably been some like deflation in the Airbnb market. Right. And now, now all of a sudden prices are higher and it's more competitive. Like in many, in many instances, it's probably just as cheap. Now it, it used to be frequently cheaper to get an Airbnb than a hotel, but I think in New York city, it's probably more often than not cheaper to get a, you can find a cheaper hotel room than an Airbnb. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, and it, it's true that the prices have gone up. There's the cleaning fees. Uh, I think Gawker recently ran a story about like, is Airbnb over talking about people being dissatisfied with things? Uh, you know, there's also like all these house rules at a lot of places and things like that. I do think there's something to be said for, you know, traditional hotels and knowing, you know, sort of knowing what to expect and being able to complain to somebody um, if something isn't right, who's like on site. Um, yeah. It, it's it's one of those rare companies too that it always feels like people are kind of actively rooting against, right? Even if you like use Airbnb, I think there's some of these companies that people, I don't know, like WeWork is one of those and Airbnb and Uber that you, people are always kind of, there's always like some glee when you hear when people talk about, you know, their bad Airbnb experience and how the company's doing poorly. It's like, I don't know, there's always, it always seems that there's some, some, some like emotional uh, connection that, that people don't feel about typical businesses. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's also something that's always like at the heart of Airbnb that always feels like a little deceptive, you know, when they talk about like helping people afford to stay in their homes um, when like uh, most of the people I've run across personally who are Airbnb are like not doing it because they have like a financial need. It's like people who own townhouses and are doing that with their garden unit, not renting it out to like a tenant, you know, but <laughs> um, at least in New York City, it does not feel like, you know, it's like helping the poor. And like, they, I feel like just the way they spin it. And they've done like a lot of stuff too that, you know, like with Ukrainian refugees, which I guess is, you know, of course it's like good if they're actually helping, but it also kind of feels like a PR ploy a lot of the time uh, in a pretty obvious way, I think that maybe turns people off. Yeah. Well, you know, with landlords too being able to get more for apartments now, maybe, you know, it's tipping the scales a bit, you think? Maybe um, now that they can get more for their apartments, comparing it to the hassle of Airbnb, um, renting now seems like a, maybe seems like a better option. Yeah, I definitely think that's possible. I do think that some people like it when they have like townhouses because then their family can come and stay in the unit like a few times a year or something like that. And like, I think there's like also a trade-off in terms of like, it's more of a hassle having like Airbnb guests, but at the same time, like you kind of have more of like a ongoing business relationship with a tenant, I guess. I, I have to assume that some people probably don't like that um, and would rather just have like random tourists coming and staying. Yeah. So maybe, maybe if, uh, you know, taking kind of one step back from Airbnb, I think there is some, there, there has been some talk about Airbnb affecting the, the housing market or the residential housing market. And, and, and maybe it's not, uh, quite as significant uh, an effect as, as it's been made out to be, but 
Um, I know you've written some some stuff too about just kind of the the, the general state of the residential housing market in um, in New York City, and maybe you can talk sort of about some other big picture trends that you're seeing. Um, maybe starting with with uh, rentals and and could also address purchasing as as well if or sales if if you have thoughts on that front as well. Yeah, I mean, I think over the last year, rentals have been like we've seen stuff. I've been reading about New York City like residential real estate since 2012 and like I've never seen anything like this market like the bidding wars for rentals I think is like pretty much unprecedented I it might have happened here or there I guess in the past it's possible but like it's something like you know one out of four luxury rentals in Manhattan one out of three rentals in Brooklyn um it just feels like it's never been this crazy. I've never seen prices rise so quickly. Um, there's definitely like something to like the fact that like they did drop during the pandemic and maybe some of those increases are from, you know, pandemic lows, not necessarily like 2019 prices, but it still seems like their things are way above 2019 prices. Um and I think part of what's weird, it's like nobody quite really understands what caused it or like when it's going away. Like the theory everybody seemed to have was that like everybody came back all at once last spring and summer, like anticipating a return to work and then it didn't really happen. Um, but like they kind of just like took up the housing um, and then it was supposed to start turning over again when their leases ended. And that hasn't actually like happened Allegedly, New York's population has gone down slightly, so I'm not really sure why it's like still this crazy. I mean, I think maybe some of it is that leases didn't turn over as much because the housing market is so bad. Like, why would you move if you didn't have to? And the people who are moving are moving because they got like huge rent hikes or non-renewals of their leases and like their apartments are really expensive, <laughs> not that desirable. Like there's always like a slight amount of shift with like people who need a bigger or different space. Um, but that stuff seems to get like snapped up really fast. So um, yeah, I feel like everyone is kind of like waiting to see when it's going to end. And like there are now like some reports, I think like Street Easy had one recently that like the inventory is going up like ever so slightly, but I'm not really sure if that's enough to actually indicate a change or it's just like that also like happened, I think, in um, April and then it like went back down in May. So it it wasn't like a huge shift. So I don't I don't really know when that's going to end. But the sales market seems like a different story, I think, sort of in New York City, as with nationally, like raising interest rates mean that people aren't, you know, they don't really want to buy right now if they can help it. I think even people who are all cash buyers don't want to like buy at the top of the market. Like nobody wants to get a bad deal, even if you have the money. So it does seem like the sales market's going to slow down. No one, no one did sight on the rental one. That's sad news. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it seems like it has to change at some point sometime soon, but everyone thought that was going to happen this spring and it didn't. So I don't know. Um, is there yeah. any increase in housing that you're seeing? Any like development that um, you know may, may trend towards prices coming out? Uh, no, not really. I mean, there's always you know housing is always being built in New York City, but uh, the sort of general wisdom is that it's never enough. 
Um, and we're like way under building for the city that we have. And so like, it, it won't ever really help. Like we need to build more, but whatever we're building isn't really helping. It does seem like, you know, if you look at like downtown Brooklyn or like Long Island City, you're like, how did this not help? <laughs> you know, in the last like 15 years, so much housing has gone up there. Um, but I, apparently it hasn't. Um, for a while, like luxury rentals, there was kind of a glut of them and there were good deals on them. But that even that's not the case anymore. So I don't I don't really know. In the, in the short term, there's no way to build enough housing. Um, and like, given how controversial building any housing is all the time, how hard it is to do, like, I don't see construction, like <laughs> meeting the need. It is crazy. It's crazy to think. I mean, I, I lived at probably about 10 years ago, I lived in downtown Brooklyn and it felt like there was a new massive building going up every single day. Yeah. And it's crazy to think that like that those are all full and that 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 that, that didn't I, I mean I remember having conversations about this at the at that point being like at some point there's just too much like there's just a glut like there's just too there's only so many like tiny little one bedroom apartments that you can you can squeeze into downtown Brooklyn but it seems like they're there that's not true you could have built more and people would be happy to live in them um, yeah no really I know it is um yeah, and I I know I think there there is always like some sort of disconnect between like you know downtown Brooklyn housing stock like the pricing like you know that's the this the most of what gets built is like higher priced and a lot of what people need is lower priced but yeah. they still filled up eventually like <laughs> it's also is is there you know New York when you live in New York New York is like neighborhood to neighborhood is so different. Um, I, I, I'm sure there are, if you dig into the numbers, it, the, 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 you know, what, what's happening in the, in the rental markets is different neighborhood to neighborhood, but it, it seems like the conversation normally is kind of like New York as a whole. Do you see, are, are there numbers that indicate that, you know, downtown Brooklyn has potentially moves in a different direction than Chelsea or then the Upper East Side or then the Upper West Side or Williamsburg or, or, or is it, does, does it just seem like every neighborhood's going up and it's just kind of a, a degree or two of how much, how much the, the, the market's changing place to place? At least recently, it seems like everything is going up. It's just by degrees. Uh, usually Queens, which, you know, is most of the time they only sort of track like North, Northwestern Queens. Um, and not the entirety of Queens and like, you know, people don't really track the Bronx very much because it's not a ton of market rate rentals there, I guess. I, I'm i not really sure why, like none of, you know, like Street Easy and Douglas Elliman and stuff don't usually have like Bronx rental reports or anything like that. But in terms of like Northwestern Queens and Brooklyn and Manhattan, it's all kind of the same story. Queens tends to be like a little bit less extreme than Brooklyn and Manhattan, Brooklyn and Manhattan are usually both pretty similar and extreme. During the pandemic, Manhattan went down more a lot, like pretty radically, but now it's just right back up there. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem like there are any like deal neighborhoods, to be honest. And so now with this, there not being enough apartments and housing on the market, um, we're seeing some things uh new development ideas with converting office space for housing. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And it seems like a good idea. I think it's hard to like make happen in practice. 
It's very expensive. Uh, the floor plates usually aren't that great for residential and even like allowing it um, illegally. Um, I've, I've heard just from multiple people that like, you know, if you wanted to convert those spaces into affordable housing, you would like, there would need to be money for that. And there isn't like they, the funds haven't been provided to like actually make that happen. So it won't. Um, and it is very expensive. And also like where it has been done the most, I think is the financial district. Um, and those buildings are from a very different era than Midtown. They're sort of like, they're still not great to convert to residential, but like they kind of work. Whereas like the mid-century Midtown buildings, like, really, really don't lend themselves to residential conversions. I think just because the floor plates are like huge. So, um, you know, you would end up with like, it, it would be hard to sort of arrange things in a way where like rooms had like windows, even like financial district stuff. I've, I've been in like $5,000 a month rentals where like the living room and the master bedroom have like a really big window and the other two rooms are offices, which are, you know, not, legally bedrooms but people live in and they don't have any windows and like there's like two really nice bathrooms in the rest of the apartment and they also don't have windows like you end up with like sort of weird layouts oh geez so it's 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 maybe a, a good thought but it doesn't seem like it's going to really move the ball forward with uh helping the helping the problem here <laughs> I don't think so. I think if like the state and the federal government like put up a lot of money to convert it to affordable, it could happen. But I don't think it's really going to happen as is. Yeah, I mean, I think there there was just this building in Wall Street that on Broad Street, I think that was bought up by developers to convert into residential, and and they specifically indicate that the reason it was bought up was because it was essentially feasible. And and I think you're exactly right that like you know, so many of these midtown offices that I've, I've spent time in, like the, the idea of turning that into apartment buildings is laughable, right? It's like, you know, there's, they're huge, huge, huge floor plans with like, you know, just a, a tiny amount of, of light that can come in through, even if you do have windows, they're like, you know, there's, there's almost no natural sunlight that comes in on half of them. So, um, yeah. it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, you know, maybe you can speak a little bit to, to any thoughts on what happens to the, you know, larger commercial spaces in, in New York City if, if they're not converted and if kind of the remote work world that we live in remains the same. It, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens to those uh, big midtown offices that largely are, are sitting vacant right now. Yeah, I mean, I think part of what's happened now is that, or part of what hasn't happened is that like, they're still kind of, they're still very valuable and like nobody has sort of decided what the future looks like yet. And if like people really aren't ever going to come back. So like owners obviously don't want to like sell stuff off for cheap. And so like, I think kind of what's just been happening is it's just been sitting and a lot of places still have leases. Like a lot of businesses still have office leases um, from before the pandemic. Uh, I think like the, the sublease market for office space has been kind of glutted, but like for now, a lot of, you know, office building owners haven't sort of been forced to confront the fact that nobody may ever come back um, or they might not come back in the same way. Um, but we still don't really know what like the future of work looks like. So I feel yeah. like most likely if anything were to happen, 
I I feel like it would be less office conversions than like trying to, you know, somebody would probably like want to tear them down and build something just like totally residential or something different. Um, I think like the land is like still too valuable to be used in a very creative way, unfortunately, which is like true of a lot of New York at this point. Like I felt like there were like a lot of hopes and wishes about like things that would be happening, you know, like ways the city could be remade during the pandemic. And like, it's just like, everything is like so expensive that, you know, it wasn't enough, like values that came down. It wasn't enough for like, totally like a different place. (laughs) Do you, do you think that changing kind of directions a bit, do you think the recent um, hike in, uh, the the rent board just raised the the rent stabilized uh, rents by a couple percentage points over the next couple years. Um, do you think that that has the potential to move the needle in any way uh, with uh, in in the housing market? Um, no, I mean I think it's kind of like it wasn't like surprising that those increases happened. Um, like. It, they've been pretty low for a long time. And I think Adams has a different view on it than de Blasio and the rent guidelines board is pretty strongly influenced by the mayor since even if he doesn't like pick them, he, you know, he picks like a lot of them were de Blasio holdovers, but I think it's like, they kind of like, it's thought that they, you know, kind of carry out whatever the mayor wants or doesn't. But, um, and then that's been like reflected in the rent hikes or lack thereof, uh, over the years. um, but I do think like it's just sort of like a weird system where there's like the guidelines board has like tons of data to consider, like almost too much to like, and they're supposed to sort of like balance the, you know, the interests of tenants and of landlords. And there's like no clear means of doing that. They're just supposed to like take in all this information and like anecdotal evidence during hearings and like pick a number between like one and six that like reflects that. Um, but you know, like I feel like tenants are never happy. Even when it was like zero percent increase, they wanted rollbacks because they said during the Juliana and Bloomberg era, like rents had gone up too much. And landlords are never happy. They always say they want higher increases. Um, they need higher increases. It, it's sort of like. I, it's not a great system, but maybe it's the best system there is for dealing with it. It could definitely probably use reform. <laughs> right. But I, I do, I guess a 3.5 or a 3.25% increase if you live in a rent stabilized unit is you're, you're still probably getting a, a way better deal than you would get if you uh, attempted to find a better deal on the open market. Right. I mean, that's without kind of, without yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely cheaper than market rate apartments. I, uh, they are also the people who live there like statistically make less money than the city as a whole. I think, you know, rent stable is this sort of weird. There's like, in that there's no means testing. So I think for like some people, the, the rent increase is a lot of money. Like that might be hard for them to pay, but they don't really have an alternative because everything out there is so much more expensive. And, you know, for other people, it's fun. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, that's rent stabilized apartments, like are all different prices. And the people who live there have like, all different like incomes. Uh, so it's sort of like this broad system for deciding 
you know, about a very diverse group of buildings and people um, and rents. How has this jump uh, increased from prior years or, you know, in comparison, just the 3.25 on, on the, and the uh, 5% on the two-year leases? So this was pretty similar to like Bloomberg area. Um, de Blasio kept it very low. I think there was like the rent freeze, which was historic under de Blasio. And then it was like, I think like around like 1.5 for um, one-year lease renewals, which is very low. It was like always pretty low. It was quite low. So this is more like Bloomberg era increase. Kim, do you think there's anything going on right now that could, um, you know, like we sort of started talking about Airbnb, are, are there any major um, effects on the housing market that, uh, people that you don't think is getting enough enough attention right now, or things that uh, have the potential to um, maybe maybe change things in a significant way that 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 isn't getting a lot of uh, talk in the press. Um, I wouldn't say there's anything like surprising out there. I mean, good cause eviction, I think, had the potential to change things, and still might. I don't think anyone thinks that it doesn't have a chance anymore, but. Um, I can, you, feel like, can you maybe can you maybe just talk a little bit about what that is? So that would basically, um, so it would protect. It's sort of like a specific way of putting that. I remember when I talked to the the people who put together the bill, but it's like it would basically give people the right of renewal for their leases, or if they didn't have a lease, the right to stay in their apartment um, as long as they hadn't violated their lease terms and were like you know good tenants, um, and then it would limit rent increases to let me see what the number is uh it was like i can check it uh a percentage of the what is the sorry i'm just checking the amount here get it get the information we want the accurate numbers three percent or 1.5 times the annual percent change in the consumer price index um so at a time like now that would be you know higher than three percent obviously because we have a lot of inflation um, and it has been like other states have like New Jersey has a form of it. California has a form of it. Oregon has a form of it. Um, different cities in New York state have passed it. It's like not as revolutionary as a lot of people I think make it out to be, um, who don't want it. But, um, it, I think it definitely would sort of help in a housing market like this one <laughs> it might not have made that much of a difference you know like in like i feel like rents kind of stayed fairly stable between like 2012 and 2019 like they were going up but they weren't going up like much more than that per year i think um but like in a market like this it, it would make a big difference i think do you think you know since landlords are kind of bouncing back from covid that this is enough to, you know, if it passed, would be enough for them to, you know, re recoup over the years or cover their costs if this uh, came to pass? I mean, yeah, it seems hard to argue that if you weren't giving landlords increases of 1.5% on the consumer price index, that they wouldn't be able to cover their costs. And unlike rent stabilization, they could set rents at whatever they want when a unit empties so or turned over. Um, I, they would say differently, but I don't believe it, it would actually be a problem. 
where 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 is what's the what's the future i know it didn't pass but what do you have any sense of what the future of this bill is is it is it dead in the water or is it going to be you know the next legislative session is it going to be brought back up again no i think definitely during the next legislative session it will be brought back up again i don't know if it passed then but uh, i think people definitely don't think it's dead um it would seem like if any time there was call for a bill like this it would be now um and I mean, something that was interesting to me was I was looking at the passage of like rent stabilization and part of, I mean, the reason basically rent stabilization passed in like 1969 was that I think the market market rate apartments were going up like an average of like 25% a year. <laughs> um, so there was kind of like a broad, you know, sort of like acknowledgement that something needed to be done. I think at the time it was thought that it would be like temporary. So maybe it wasn't like fought in the same way it would have been now, but there was also, it sort of replaced like a more controversial uh, bill that would have extended rent control, which would have limited increases way more. So like rent stabilization was sort of like the real estate friendly answer to insane increases in the housing market. Um, And it feels like we're in a similar moment now in good cause eviction is like, much less onerous on landlords than rent stabilization. Um, So I feel like, you know, it it certainly seems like it would have a chance, but of course, you know, we also live in a different political moment, I guess, than we did in 1969. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely agreed that something needs to, needs to be done in this kind of housing climate. So, yeah. Is that, is that coming from someone who's currently looking for a, for an apartment in New York City? Oh, I just found one, but I tell you, that oh, you was not easy. What were you looking for? I was looking for a two-bedroom, and, and I tell you, I mean, we would go and look at an apartment, and by the time we got back on the subway, it was already taken. Yeah. It was, it was absolutely crazy. Um, there were, there were lines. So, you know, what you're writing about is so, is so accurate. It's just, it's very insane out there if you're trying to find a place to live. Yeah. I just had to find an apartment myself. I like, I guess moved June 1st. So. <laughs> Where'd you wind up? Uh, I have like a two bedroom in Prospect Heights and a rent stabilized building, which was like <laughs> very nice. Um, yeah, like that was like, it was like, I was much happier than winning an affordable housing lottery to get in a rent. (laughs) It's crazy. I mean, something has to change. I I can't, I, I haven't, I I no longer live in New York city, but I I can't believe I, 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 the last time I did this was five years ago and it felt like there was a version of that, but, and it sounds like now it's just that on steroids. It's just, it's just insane to think that it's just getting worse and worse because that, that felt to me you know, hoofing from place to place to place, spending like three, four days, just every, same deal, lines out the door and you'd see a good place. And it was like too late. You know, the, the minute you have to be like the first one in, it's, it, it's, yeah. it's mind blowing that we, that we put up with this system. Yeah. I mean, it definitely felt like, I felt like the last time I looked for an apartment, it was like competitive for like good places, but it didn't feel like, I mean, this just felt like things would like disappear within like a few hours. Yes. And and what you're getting for the price is just insanity. Yeah. I know like I was like, we can't participate in bidding wars. <laughs> I, like I, I mean it's just like we like we didn't have the money to, I guess, was like at the end of the day, you know. 
I was like, okay, like we can't even afford our current apartment apartment now where we live or whatever, you know, like looking at like just like how much things had gone up in like five years or really in the last year, like we lived there five and a half years. And I was like, well, if we're like already like everything that we'd be looking at is a thousand dollars more than what we're paying, like how do we, we can't do a bidding war. Like that's just ridiculous, right? Right. Well, um, that's what you said with turnover, you know, it, you know, it, even though the price goes up, it's still yeah. cheaper to stay. Yeah. Yeah. No, if it was, if we didn't have like a non lease, non-renewal, we definitely would have stayed even if, you know, if we could have, we would have. So, um, yeah. And then you look at like bidding wars and you're like broker's fees and you're like, well, this apartment, like you don't even know what's going to happen the next year. You don't have any like right to stay. You can pay like your 18% broker's fee and, you know, go through the hassle of moving. And the landlord could also just like, if the market is hot enough next year, they could also just be like, yeah, your rent is going up another 20%, you know, <laughs> after you go through all that and do a bidding war and pay the broker's fee. It just, it feels so crazy. Yeah. Have you, have you seen broker's fees go up uh, in this in this market? Yes. I, I have definitely heard of it happening. I mean, I feel like it used to be like, 12 percent sometimes sometimes brokers were trying to get 15 things were like kind of negotiable unless an apartment was like super hot and a lot of times there wasn't a broker's fee the landlord paid the broker's fee um which is really how it should be because they're like always basically almost always representing the landlord like i know very few renters who look with a, a broker it's like you just find something on street easy or craigslist and you go and see it and it's it's the the landlord who has been hired by the or the broker has been hired by the landlord and then you pay the broker um which is like a total conflict of interest but anyway um i have heard about like sort of like minor increases like 18 percent, like 15 percent now seems standard some are like a little bit more like 18 or 20. And then I have heard a few cases uh, that are pretty crazy. Uh, it seems like this is happening with like rent stabilized apartments, but like where it's like 30, 40, 50% fees. Wow. Um, and I don't really know like exactly what's happening. I don't know if there's like some sort of kickback that's going to the landlord because like they can't charge more for the unit. Or if the broker is just like, I have something that everyone is going to want, so I can totally. charge whatever I want. Because there's no yeah, limit they're, they're, on broker fees. There's like all these other limits right. on like, you know, fees and how much money you have to put down for an apartment, like that were passed as part of the 2019 rent laws. But like 12 to 15% is just like customary, <laughs> but they can charge as much as they want. So. Well, Kim, I, I think this is the uh, this should be if if you're not already writing this article, I think this is a this is a great topic that you should you should consider writing something on because I, I haven't seen much on it, and I think it's it's fascinating to think about. You know, I talked to a few people, a sort of on background, uh, but then Hellgate did have a story about uh, where they talked to a few people, and it was all it was all rent stabilized or affordable housing. Uh huh. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's kind of insane. <laughs> it's wild. It's key well, money basically, I guess. Right. Yeah. 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 Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, Emily, I don't know if you have any, any more questions, Kim, I want to be respectful of your time, but um, this has been a really super informative, uh, great conversation. And, uh, you know, so thankful to that you were able to carve out a few minutes and, and, bring us up to speed on the issues you've been writing about. Um, I guess last question is just where can, if, if people want to find your writing or, or follow you on 
social media? Is there, is there anywhere that we can, we can direct them? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I write for, um, the curb vertical at New York mag. So, uh, you can find my writing there and I'm on Twitter at K Velsey, um, which is just K and then my last name. So sweet. Great. All right. Well, this has been really fun. Uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, maybe we'll connect again soon. Okay, great. Thank you so much for talking. I really enjoyed it. Thank Thank you. you. For more on all things real estate and the law, subscribe to this and our other podcasts. Follow Bergstein, Flynn, and Knowlton on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and go to bfklawoffice.com. That's bfklawoffice.com to learn.